of all Champions League goalkeepers I've seen, and Carrius included, what about the fella in the goal for Villarreal? Carrius included is the worst thing any Liverpool <laughs> fan can say. That's the harshest. Well, Carrius was hopeless, wasn't he? OTB AM, live, weekday mornings from 7.30 on the OTB Sports app. Now, um, I was talking uh, just before 8 o'clock about uh, these headlines. So this is uh, Eamon Sweeney in the uh, Sindo on Sunday going backwards uh, in a hurry um, in relation to Irish athletics. And Carl Dennehy's piece today in the Irish Examiner, record-breaking feats papering over the cracks in Irish athletics. Um, so I, I kind of plugged this piece before uh, Carl's coming on now, but it just starts with, at a time when Irish athletics in an official organisational capacity was ducking for cover, taking a very public beating, it was left to those who so long papered over its cracks, the athletes, to inject some positivity. First, there was the Irish shot put record set by Eric Favors, a 25-year-old throwing 2007 metres in Puerto Rico last Thursday. Then there was the national 800-metre record set by Louis Shanahan in Belfast on Saturday, the Leavale athlete clocking 159.42 to edge Kieran McGean in a thriller. Then came the best of the lot, the 50.7 400-metre run by Rasida Leke in Texas on Sunday. The Dubliner now the fastest Irish woman of all time at 60, 200, 300 and 400 metres, all at the age of 19. Maybe Maybe it's all a coincidence, maybe it's not, but the thing the three senior record breakers have in common is they're all based abroad. Um Carl, that I don't know, this this piece for me was simmering with anger. <laughs> it was. Um yeah, I suppose anger, but I would say anger that's kind of transmitted on behalf of the Irish athletics community, really. I mean, I could sit here all night and probably rant but my opinion essentially is worthless but what I, tr- I suppose I try to do at times in the writing is transmit a feeling amongst the Irish athletics community about the current structures that are in place um, and I'm 34 now um, and I joined the club in 1997 and I've been listening to this for 25 years basically the same story again and again when it comes to Irish athletics um, we do always have good performers and we have international performers, athletes who punch way above their weight given the support levels and given our population size in what is a truly global sport. But anytime you look at it and say, are we getting these world-class athletes, the likes of Thomas Barr, the likes of Fanula McCormack, because of whatever system or supports are in place, or as we get, are we getting them in spite of it? Now, probably in spite might be a harsh word, but I think it's just pure coincidence that there is some sort of system behind it or if there is any system behind it because uh, what a lot of people would say when you look at our champions this goes back to the 80s and 90s 2000s and the last decade the best athletes Ireland produces typically have the least to do with Athletics Ireland and that's an undeniable trend going back to David Gillick, Dervil O'Rourke, Rob Heffernan, I mean Thomas Barr, whoever it is, Sonia O'Sullivan, they go and build their own high performance systems and it was kind of an interesting parallel that off the back of that Tokyo review, which, to be honest, hammered Athletics Ireland two weeks ago and hammered the structures within athletics, that we would have three athletes come out and break national senior records. And national senior records do not fall easily. A lot of them go back 20, 30, 40 years, and three fell on one weekend. Um, but again, when you look at the three athletes, Louise Shanahan's based over in England, in o- Oxford, um, doing a PhD over there with a British coach she has. Uh, Rashida is based in Texas for the last year and a half with one of the best spring coaches in the world and Edric Floriel and then Eric Favors obviously he's New York born and raised and he's always been based over there and he qualifies through an Irish grandparent um now obviously we have a lot of good home-based athletes but you know it's certainly never been a barrier to success in athletics by Irish athletes going abroad 
to progress their career. And if anything, the trend shows that they tend to do a whole lot better when they're abroad within professional structures. This really intrigued me. Um, and again, this is referenced uh, in Eamon Sweeney's piece also, but you, you write that the decision by Sport Ireland to punish athletics for its underperformance in Tokyo might be understandable, but it's also deeply, uns- deeply unsettling. It hints at a move to mimic the British approach, whereby money is funneled into sports where medals are easier to farm through finances, regardless of participation figures or the number of medals won uh, outside the Olympics. This seems almost like a populist thing because, I mean, you know... You, you, fair enough we're doing extremely well in rowing at the moment but like it's almost like athletics is being punished if we don't win a gold it is it is exactly like that and this is the biggest kind of evidence we've seen of that trend within the Irish Sport Ireland I suppose philosophy and I think a lot of this goes back to that 10 year plan for sport in Ireland that set massive targets I think it's that we're going to be a nation by 2028 that wins between 8 and 10 Olympic medals at each mm. Olympics and I think this decision spawns from that, where they've sat down, they've looked at it, and they've said, "Athletics, fair play, Thomas Barr, fair play, Kieran McGee, fair play to the mixed relay. You know, you're all, you're all in the top eight or ten in the world in a global sport that's so deeply contested. It's as it's as tough to rise to the top eight or ten in the world as it would be, say, as a left back in soccer. You know, are you in the top eight or ten left backs? You know, that's the equivalent of what Kieran McGee and, and Thomas Barr are achieving. But the fact that they don't win medals." Um, at global level yet anyway obviously Thomas Barr was about an inch away from a medal in Rio um, means that athletics gets punished and they get punished I mean Thomas Barr is not on the highest level of funding at the moment he's considered international the other night he finished third in the Diamond League which is you know the top tier of the sport the Olympic silver medalist was second Uh, the Olympic bronze medalist was ahead of him and yet Thomas Barr is not considered good enough to get the full 40,000 euro funding and it's not a case, I hate sports one-upmanship in general, but when mm. you look across the board and you say there are performers, whether it's in sports that aren't truly global, that might have 10 to 20 to 30 nations competing seriously in them, that Ireland are winning medals in, or say in the Paralympics where there is, you know, not that depth, let's be honest, there's so many categories that we have come about medals so much easier in that department than we do in athletics, but yet the athletes get punished again. And as Keane McManaman, a race walker, put out there on, I think it was on Twitter a couple of weeks ago, he said, you know, when it comes to this, athletes underperform at a championships. The sport gets its funding cut. The athletes themselves will get their funding cut. But where are the repercussions for those within high performance or the people who are kind of overseeing or developing those structures? You know, does the CEO of Athletics Ireland get a 20% pay reduction? Does the high performance director get a pay reduction? Does this does the same thing happen to them? I think you've probably answered that question without answering, have you? <laughs> yeah. exactly but it's like we, we spoke about Eritrea there um, and you know what happened to Jiro today so in North Korea what they do is if they if somebody goes to jail they send three generations to jail as well because it's effectively it's punishment to the entire family so it's like one athlete's being punished for the fact that maybe some other athletes aren't reaching their peak despite the fact that the best Irish athletes aren't even in Ireland anyway yeah, it seems, just seems so unnecessary. And I mean, yeah, I mean, they did have a bad Olympics. There's no denying that, you know, mm. and like I was writing about it myself. And, you know, sometimes the coverage, obviously, of athletics isn't, isn't what it is in soccer. You know, it's generally softer and, you know, they're they're often, they're, un, they're non-professional athletes. They're juggling full-time jobs and, you know, they're doing their damnedest to qualify. And sometimes when they go out there and get absolutely blown out of it in the heats and trail in last, your, your heart would nearly break from them. And, you know, you don't want to be criticizing them but at the same time when Athletics Ireland set out targets this amount of top eights this amount of top 16s this amount of top 24s and we didn't come near it 
um, in any of those three categories at the last Olympics. Questions need to be asked. But as one coach said to me when I asked him, you know, before I was coming on tonight, is there any kind of points you'd make? He'd said, basically, the point to make is that nothing's going to change. And that's a coach who's been around for the last 30 years in the sport, embedded in the sport. And again, my opinion on this is not worth too much, but I'm just trying to transmit what so many I talk to in Irish athletics say, that they, they bang their head against the walls and they say, this is the same conversation we had after the Athens Olympics, the same one we had after the Atlanta Olympics. Um, where are the structures and what are the structures and are the structures having any effect and I think in a sport like rowing where it's smaller and you can centralise that small group of high calibre athletes under a really good coach like Dominic Casey you can you can see the effect of that but in athletics it's so spread out, it's so vast there's so many events within the sport um, that it's always going to be impossible to do that in a way that you can truly judge it and I have a certain sympathy as well for the people working in Athletics Ireland because you're trying to sort of mimic these sports like rowing and boxing that have had such success, but in a sport where the same thing is pretty much impossible to do. Yeah, we don't obviously have anyone from Athletics Ireland on. Um, and even as Cahill says there, I mean, you know, th- th- these issues are always complex. It's never, um, I guess, black and white. But I suppose from my perspective of coming from, um, you know, a soccer position, despite soccer being the biggest participating sport in Ireland, call facilities are a joke, really, uh, you know, despite all the money in this country. So what are facilities like in athletics? And um, another point you mentioned here is, just that all these really good coaches, and we go back to Jerry Cairn, obviously, um, and you say the truth is it's not money that makes the likes of Shane McCormick, Noel Morrissey, Phelan Kelly, or Jeremy Lyon show up trackside several times a week. They did it long before they had the Olympians in their care, but there's something absurd about a system that sees the dozens of hours they dedicate each week go unrewarded, all as the physios, psychologists, nutritionists, and high-performance uh, employees are paid. Now, this is a bit of an elephant in the room. It is. And look, again, let's let's, I guess, qualify this by saying that it's extremely hard for Athletics Ireland to work out a system um, and not just Athletics Ireland, there's other sports as well, Sport Ireland in general. It's hard for them to work out a system whereby which coaches do you fund because coaches are so spread out across the country. But I think the time has come and this this can't go on any longer. Um, I, I'd consider it like whether it's direct or indirect an exploitation of Irish coaches who put so much time in because whatever about the club coach who stumbles across a really good athlete and suddenly has an Olympian on their hands, like those four, I just picked them out, but there's, there's many more like those four of coaches course. around the country who are coaching at Olympic level. They coach to, to a professional level despite juggling other work, some of them. Um, some of them have full-time jobs, some of them have families, partners, and speaking from, to them you know, at different points over the years, I've spoken to them all probably individually along with a lot of other coaches, and your heart would break for them and your admiration just grows for them when you realise that you know they've had to leave their kids behind, they've had to miss so many things for their, their kids' graduations and things like that, or they've had to go away on training camps, they've had to barter with their employers to get time off work Mm. and then there's just something very messed up that say a coach of a Thomas Barr or a Nadia Power or a Sean Tobin some of our best athletes that their coaches have to pay money spend money on the sport and these are the most important part of our Olympic athletes performances and then that same athlete will go into the Sport Ireland Institute. They might have a psychology appointment. They might have a nutritionist appointment. They might have a strength and conditioning appointment. Um, and all these people who are working as professionals, as they should be, are paid. And yet we can't find a way to pay our coaches. Um, and, you know, Jack Chambers or whoever can sit there every press conference that happens and say we're plowing this much more into sport. 
But really, you know, it's all very well and good to fund the athletes, but behind every athlete and the reason for all those good athletes, the biggest reason is some coach who found them, whether it was at the age of 10, at the age of 16, or whether they took over in their 20s and coaching them to a professional standard despite amateur levels of support. In, in a broader context, Carl, like, do we invest enough at government level in sport in this country, full stop? We have masses of money coming in from taxes into this country from various uh, sources, but our facilities um, across the board are, are so far behind the first world country. Now, you know, if you have a young Olympian who wants to, you know, be the new Nadia Power or whatever, um, say, for example, in rural Ireland tomorrow, what does he or she do in terms of making that step up? Is there a barrier to his or her making that progress because of facilities and coaching straight away? I think I'll speak only on athletics here because mm. God knows I don't know enough about anything else. But in terms of athletics, I really don't think facilities are an issue in Ireland at, okay. at all. And, you know, you have to tip your hat here to Sport Ireland. They have upgraded the facilities over the years. You know, there was a long time in the 90s where Nina was the only indoor track in Ireland. And, you know, it was often referred to as a cow shed and it was not a suitable facility. But at Lone, Got got it, got it together and built a brilliant world class facility down there. And then Abbottstown, obviously, they've built they have a beautiful track there on the Sport Island campus. I guess facilities are an issue if you're based rurally, and that was one of the things the Tokyo Review threw up was that there's not enough supports for athletes who are not based near Dublin. And given they can't fund athletes to be full time athletes or sometimes even part time athletes, a lot of athletes have to juggle full time jobs. To ask them to do that while living in Dublin. Uh, paying Dublin rents to avail of the facilities at the Sport Ireland campus is a bit much really at mm. times in a sport where there's not much reward um, but yeah I just think athletes in terms of the overall investment I mean we're not bad internationally but we are always comparing ourselves to New Zealand and when you do put the figures of New Zealand's investment in sport alongside our investments in sport it's you know we're made to look very ordinary and it's no accident that when you look at the number of Olympic medals we win New Zealand also makes us look very ordinary because there's a, there is a direct and it's a causative relationship between investment in sport and Olympic medals and it's not just about Olympic medals because let's face it Kelly Harrington or Paula Donovan win a medal we all love it for a weekend but then we go back to our daily lives but mm. the the spin-off effect of every bit of investment in sport has been shown time and again whether it's inspiration or through those grassroots program to be paid back several times over in terms of the benefits to the healthcare system. And after oh. two years where we've all been going on about the health of the nation and doing everything, you would like to see a bit more impact in that, you know, a bit more put your money where your mouth is in that regard in terms of stand over sport and like like they've cut Athletics Ireland's funding for the next few years at a time of rapid inflation. They haven't cut it, they've remained the same. Which is effectively given there's a cost of living crisis going on yeah. that constitutes a reduction. So like, you know, you're athletes are going to be worse off for that. I, I find it strange. And I look, I have images of Shane Ross, obviously, while the women's hockey team is beside him, like announcing such and such and great fanfare and all that, because it was obviously, it was quite a popular thing to do at the time. Is there actually political love for athletics? I think there is. I mean, I I, I think people can appreciate athletics, but it's, uh, it's definitely a bandwagon sport. You know, our championships are once, twice, maybe three times a year. If you had the cross country and indoors, um, and people do care about athletics for those weeks, but they intend not to care for the rest of it. But I often, I know this is something everyone in a minority sport or even in many women's sports say, was that if people get exposed to it more, they do like it. And I think history has always shown that the Irish public does love athletics, does genuinely love athletics. Um, I mean, even an example of that, I tweeted out a few videos last weekend that I was just screen recording of Irish athletes um, running over in Highgate and Dean Casey of Ennisbrook to 
under 20, 10,000 meter Irish record. And I think it had like 50,000 views or something. And there was a few other videos that were getting like 5,000, 10,000, 20,000 views. And that's just a bad video that's on Twitter. And but it, it, I suppose the point there is that if you bring it to them, people will be like, oh, that's great. Someone broke a record. And every time you see it, whether it's an under 20 championship, European indoor championship, European cross country, if an Irish athlete wins a medal, there is a huge response. And we had 8,000 people in Abbottstown on, in December for the European cross country on a horrible mm. day that started out in a place where you can't get parking to save your life. Um, and this, the way that was supported showed that the Irish public, if you give them access to athletics and you show them athletics on TV, do care about athletics. But we all know, you know, RTE hasn't showed a world championship in decades and they're not, they're not, I don't think they're sending anyone to this year's world championships in Oregon. So I suppose when that's the attitude to the most popular Olympic sport from the, the state broadcaster, it, it's, it's no accident that the, kind of the everyday sports fan on the street stops caring pretty quickly. Yeah, and I presume you can see in, in Irish football our national DNA is changing a bit for the better as well. And I presume there is a lot of potential in running uh, in this country, massive potential if if we can get the coaching right and somehow find a few bob for these coaches. Yeah, exactly. Um, and I, I think it has to happen. You know, it, maybe it's a thing whereby if you fund an athlete, if you give them 20 grand a year, then it's just 10% automatically on top goes to the coach. So mm. whoever coaches that athlete would be getting two grand for each athlete dead coach um, at that level, you know. I think and that's something that those little things, it's the few grand, it's, it's like they're not looking for money, they're not looking for full-time salaries out of this, most of them. But it's indicative that some of the athletes who, or some of the coaches who were working in a full-time capacity were essentially driven out of this country because they couldn't get work in a full-time capacity. I'm thinking of John Coughlin there who was couldn't operate as a full-time athletics coach in Ireland or even a part-time athletics coach was training speed and strength and conditioning with me GEA for years and then just got an opportunity to work in China with athletes on a full-time basis went there got another another opportunity to work in America last year two years ago um, and he coached the Olympic champion the women's 100 meter hurdles and John's expertise is now of no significance to Irish sport it's just mm. been lost because he couldn't get supported here he couldn't earn a living from coaching here so what happens? Someone else recognises and appreciates his knowledge and is willing to pay him elsewhere. And then he's coaching an Olympic champion. Yeah, it's massive parallels to soccer, how it's been in this country as well there. I, I, this really struck me as well. It's actually the last sort of couple of powers in your piece. Ireland has three reigning European under-20 champions, which itself is obviously to be lauded. Um, Aleke, Nick Riggs, uh, who's a, an amazing story as well, and Keane McPhillips. Sitting in a press event a few years ago uh, with Adeleke and her mother, I can recall a member of the Irish media trying their best to put the teenager off going to the US, telling her she'd be run into the ground, that it would ruin her career. By ignoring that and choosing the University of Texas and one of the best, uh, one of the world's best coaches in Edric Farrell, she's shown that to be utter nonsense. Now, if you put utter nonsense into a piece, and Carl's come to the end of his piece there, I think he's still a bit angry. Um, her previous coaches, Johnny Fox and Daniel Kilgallen, did a brilliant job in an unpaid capacity to nurture her talent before she left. But it says so much about the system in Ireland that the best thing you'd hope for Adeleke's future is that she has nothing to do with it. Yeah, um, I suppose it, it speaks for itself. <laughs> Obviously, it's probably laced with a bit of anger. I woke up on the wrong side of the bed yesterday morning, I think. Um, Sometimes those articles are best, though. They tend to be. Um, but yeah, like it, it is genuinely the way I feel with a lot of US-based athletes. And a lot of people will moan about the US NCAA system because some talented juniors might have went over and they might have been run into the ground at bad colleges who were just trying to get their pound of flesh out of them. But... People often talk about that in Irish athletics, but then they don't talk so much about the Irish athletes who were 
going to DCU or UCD or Trinity or UCC, wherever it is, and then their talents, whether through injury, maybe they got an injury and there was no physio support, they had no proper coaching, they didn't have a proper training group the way they do in the States, um, they weren't enjoying it the way there is that team ethic much more in the NCAA system, and they just drifted out of the sport. Or maybe they did get their degree, they went in, they got their they got their job with Ernst & Young or whoever it is. Mm. They were working nine to six and commuting, and then they just realized that 100-mile weeks are not compatible with full-time work. I mean, it's something that Pat Hooper, the late great Olympian from 1980, the great Rahini clubman, often said like that, you know, people often go on about the good old days, and then, oh, we worked full-time jobs and ran 120 miles a week. But Pat Hooper said the game has changed, economics have changed, and these days employers want their pound of flesh. And... You know, if if someone's going off to run a race in Belgium at the weekend, they don't care so much and they don't care that you're, you know, need 10 hours sleep and need to run at lunchtime and need to go to the physio in the afternoon. You know, it's like, well, if you're not going to do this work, we'll find someone else to do it. And full time work for a lot of people is not compatible. And that brings me to another point that I kind of just wanted to bring up, because I think this is something that needs to happen in Ireland is that we start looking towards the system in Germany or Poland. I mean, it's there in Russia, Ukraine, lots of Eastern European nations do this, whereby top level athletes are kind of married with the civil service system. I mean, in Germany, it could be the police, it could be the customs, it could be the military. And they go through the educational system, much like we go to the guards in Temple Moor, but the athletes are given concessions in terms of training, given time off when needed. Um, and then they graduate, they start a career. And say in Germany, uh, you're allowed to get reduced service hours by 33% if you're an elite athlete. So imagine that for an Irish athlete. Instead of working 40 hours a week, you're asked to work 25 hours a week. And yeah, there might be the odd lad in the office groaning, but the reality is that those 15 hours that you're still being paid for, you're out there training, you're going to the physio, and you're going to major international championships, wearing an Irish kid and trying to win medals. So whatever it is that money that they're losing out on you not being at work is being repatriated i suppose um because you know there's many ways to serve your country um and whether it's the civil service or the guards or the army we need to start looking at that and just i pulled up a couple of stats on this point and in the in terms of the german olympic medals won in the summer games since 1992 44 percent of them have been won by athletes who were from the military support groups who were officially employed by the german military and then if you look at Poland, what they were doing, of the 215 athletes who represented Poland at last year's Olympics, 61 of them were soldiers in the Polish army. Now, they're not obviously out hiking over the hills with backpacks. You know, they're given office jobs, the elite athletes. But that's something we really need to look at in Ireland because sports like athletics, they're not going to get more money. It's pretty clear they're not going to be given more money by Sport Ireland the way things are without winning Olympic medals. So we need to start being creative and think, how can we... I guess, set them up with employers and set up some sort of system through the civil service where they can train as semi-professionals, if not professionals. Because right now, a lot of people come out of college, 22, 23, they look at that choice and they say, this just isn't worth it. And one final point on this, mm. I was talking to an Olympian um, last year at one point, um, and she'd been to every championship under the sun in athletics and you know didn't win any medals, isn't at that quite level, but is good enough to always qualify. And she said if she was talking to a 16 or 17-year-old athlete, she'd, she'd tell them not to bother. Don't bother following her path because you know she's there in her late 20s, early 30s, no savings, way behind everyone else her age in terms of career progression and basically has is just chugging along on a shoestring budget and when you have someone who made the Olympics saying that about the way things are, that they'd tell a 16 or 17 year old not to bother, 
that speaks an awful lot about how well we actually support our athletes. Is that the nature of a capitalist world that, you know, it doesn't pay, so that's how it is, or is is we just need more funding? I mean, I, I think the funding thing is an easy solution, but obviously it's not the only solution. And I think I think we do have to accept that funding won't just be there um, always. And, you know, it's not... We can't just pull money out of a tree. The whole country is struggling. And let's face it, there's bigger priorities than us trying to win an Olympic medal or a European medal. Um, but I think the big things that can be done, I mean, I think with coaching, yes, I think that has to be a simple money solution because there's so many athletes right now who are, or so many coaches who are doing it through the sheer goodness of their hearts and the sheer love for the sport. And these are people who could go into other sports, you know, they could train. They could train, like I take Shane McCormick there, the coach of Phil Healy, the Irish 100 metre record holder. I mean, he's he could be employed by any number of sports, whether it's Leinster rugby, he's done work with Tipperary, Wexford hurlers, and he'd be well recompensed for that work or recompensated. Um, he does his work in athletics, um, and what's he get for it? Nothing. Only the goodwill of like, well done, Shane. You've done you've you've done well here. Like with what you're, you've clearly done a great job coaching Phil Healy to the level she is. But that shouldn't be the way it is in a in a country that cares as much about sport as Ireland cares about sport. Even the three you mentioned at the weekend, say Favor Shanahan and Adeleke, how marketable are they in terms of um, essentially making money from being sponsored or being a brand? I presume Rashida's very, very marketable. She's only 19. She's breaking records all around her. Um, so even if you get to that elite level, can you monetize it? You can, but it's very it, it, it's very top-heavy, I would say, and it falls off a cliff very fast. Mm. So, like, I mean, I'm not going to guess what the likes – I mean, I, I would have a very good idea what the likes of Thomas Barr and Kieran McGeehan are earning from their sponsors, but it would, it would be a five-figure sum, but it would be in the low five figures, I could say that. So they they are they would be reliant on – Doesn't buy you know, a game in Dublin, like – to cover their costs, yeah. And someone like Rashida will have great marketability. She's going to make a splash in the NCAA system. She's going to come out. She's in the, the I guess, the, the the events that are in front of everyone. You know, she will be a 200-meter runner, a 400-meter runner. They're the kind of glamour events. So she would have the ability to get a decent contract that she can survive off, assuming she's running well. The other athletes, perhaps not so much. I mean, Louise Shanahan, she's the fastest 800 meter runner of all time. She is unsponsored. She had to, I think she had to get a loan of spikes off someone last summer. Wow. Um, and, you know, she's obviously doing a PhD. She's funded, but she says if she wasn't doing that, she would be struggling to pay the rent because she makes virtually nothing from athletics and, and qualifying for the Olympics makes you virtually nothing. You know, you might get like three grand or five grand off Athletics Ireland as a result of reaching that standard, but mm. you're not going to be getting 20 grand put into your hand to do that. You have to be a medal contender. And, you know, as we know, if to be a medal contender at European or global level in a sport is as deep as athletics is awfully, awfully hard. And just just before we wrap up, can you not can you not just be happy? Can you not just celebrate the achievements of the weekend? And on that, how good could Rashida be? I'm very happy, Johnny. I don't know what you're talking about. Um, <laughs> this girl at 19 years of age, all these records broken. Um, obviously, as you mentioned, she's doing it um, abroad, but um, how good could she be at 19? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I always feel a bit hesitant talking about teenage athletes. Mm. Um, and I, all through Rashida's career, I mean, I first saw her run, I think she was 13 or 14 down in that lawn, and she was this super tall, super skinny, long-legged runner, and she... You know, she was like Bambi on ice coming out of the blocks due to her frame, I guess. Mm. And then once she got running, she absolutely destroyed everyone else. And we, just, every, me and the other lads who were there just went, wow, this this girl is special. And nothing she's done in the five, six years since um, has indicated she's not special. And she's never gone in reverse. She's only ever got faster. 
we have what I would consider right now the most talented group of teenagers in Irish athletics that we've ever had. I mean, Nick Griggs is, in the best sense of the word, a freak, you know, mm. to run what he ran, a European mile record, 356 indoors at the age of 17 is out of this world. Keem McPhillips too. But Rashida, I think she can be an A-list sporting star for Ireland in terms of, you know, the up there with our greatest female sports people. Perhaps there's many rivers to cross, but in terms of where she is right now, she's 19 years old. And, you know, given her height, she's obviously not going to be a 60-meter runner, but she ran 7.17, smashed the Irish record indoors, which says a lot. She ran 22.5 for 200 meters there in April, and she ran 50.7 for 400 meters last weekend. Now, just to give you an idea of that standard, because... Numbers don't mean anything to most people. Um, that her, The time she ran for 400 metres last weekend in Texas, it would have won bronze medal at the last European Senior Championships in wow. 2018. And it would have placed her either four, depending on which semi-final she was in, in the Olympic 400 metre semi-final last year, it would have placed her fourth or fifth. So she is, you'd have to run under 50 seconds to go into an Olympic or world final. But she's already at that level where she can be top 10, top 12 in the world at the age of 19. And it's probably a good point time to say as well that after becoming the fastest, you know, one of the most bizarre decisions I've ever seen was to leave her home from the Olympics last year to not even bring her as a sub um, when it was clear what that experience might do for her future. Mm. But I won't finish on a bad note because to finish on a positive note, I think Rashida could be the athlete to challenge for. I mean, she's definitely going to challenge if she stays healthy for European medals. And she definitely has the talent that if you take any other 18, 19, 20 year old sprinter in the world right now, She's certainly not behind him, so let's just hope and she stays healthy, keeps progressing, and like I said, she's in a brilliant setup to do that. Let's just hope you wake up on the right side of the bed tomorrow as well. Doesn't happen very often, Johnny. I wouldn't wouldn't hold out much hope. Brilliant having you on. Thanks, Carl.